A reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went to shore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now very late. Send the crowds away so that they may go to the villagers and buy food for themselves. Jesus said to them, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. But they replied, We have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And Jesus said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit on the grass. Taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven He blessed, broke the loaves, gave it them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And all ate and were satisfied. They took up what was left over of the broken pieces, twelve baskets full. And those who ate were about five thousand men, besides women and children. This is the word of the Lord. Come, let us pray. Speak to us, dear Lord. Open our ears. Give us a heart and mind of understanding to discern what you want us to do. Give us also the will to obey what you would command us in Holy Scripture. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. A very good morning, dear family in Christ. Thank you, Pastor Lee, for introducing me just now. So I won't add too much to it, other than I am a local preacher of this congregation, and there's an urban myth in uh, AMKMC, that if you're a local preacher, your first, your maiden sermon will be at the Easter sunrise service, which means that I would have to wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning. I am thankful for the grace of our Lord and for the mercy of Pastor Anthony to put me here on this glorious morning at the hub at the godly hour of 10.30am. To remind us, if you look into your bulletin, if you look at the website, serve is the buzzword and the theme for this season of church life. We are abuzz with service this year. Last week, we dedicated all those who were involved in the running of the worship services. This week, as Pastor Lee pointed out, the sanctuary is being taken over by the youth for IGC. From ushering to the leading of worship to the announcements, the youth are being mobilized and their talents are being utilized. Every time IGC is being done by youth, I was on the lookout for Facebook and Instagram because that the post that they send after IGC is very encouraging. There will all be Thanksgiving posts. There will be posts about how they were so nervous, they felt so inadequate, they felt like they, they couldn't do it. You know, so they, they prayed three times as hard, they practiced twice as hard on all their, you know, whatever they need to do. And then God would supernaturally empower them so that they will fulfill their duties on the Sunday morning. I'm very encouraged by these posts. Because they could have responded to the task of leading a service in one of two ways. Firstly, running a service, running it, that's up to the professionals, no? like Pastor Lee, like PTM Alphonsus, like PTM Irene. That is not my problem. The second way that they could have responded, huh? serve on the worship team? I only know four chords. I only know one strumming pattern. Are you sure they want me to serve? I don't have enough skill. This brings us to our text in Matthew 14. 
because the disciples also faced an insurmountable task of feeding a great crowd. This morning, I want to examine how the disciples responded and pit their responses against what Jesus did and what Jesus said. We have just read this account in Matthew, but the miracle of the feeding of 5,000 is recorded in all four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I don't want you to miss how remarkable this is. For your Bible trivia, only two miracles of Jesus are recorded in all four Gospels. The feeding of the 5,000 and the resurrection. Now everyone knows, if a mother nags at you four times to make a point, she's trying to bring to your attention something very, very important. As a rule of thumb, if a story is recorded two or more times in the Gospel records, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's a good idea to put them side by side and read all of them so that you can gain a fuller perspective. Kind of like how a detective would examine a scene from different CCTV footage angles. So let's examine the background of this text. In verses 13 to 14, we see that Jesus intended to withdraw to a solitary, deserted place. Earlier in the chapter, in verses 1 to 12, Herod had just executed John the Baptist because John was preaching vehemently against Herod. Herod was having his brother's wife. John was also preaching that the Messiah had come. And for people in Palestine living in that time, when they heard that the Messiah had come, there were ramifications of political upheaval and political uh, revolution. So we can infer that Jesus wanting to um, go to a deserted place was like a tactical withdrawal. It's a way to ensure that the political sensitivities would not simmer to a boiling point. A tactical withdrawal can be very tiring, especially if you're traveling on foot. Like, you know the feeling when you go on holiday, you take an eight-hour long flight, you land and you go to the hotel room, and then you just collapse on a bed because you just can't do anything else after that? I imagine the, similar to be, the situation to be similar with the disciples. In fact, Mark 6.31 gives us a hint that the disciples were feeling tired from ministry, but they did not even have leisure to eat. So Jesus suggesting going to a deserted place was like a staff retreat. Now think along this analogy even further. I want you to imagine a crowd, like half of the Jubilee Day of Prayer, you know, 20,000 people. That many people, you know how they fill up like the, the whole uh, sports hub? Imagine this crowd turning up at the AMKMC staff retreat in Penang looking for Pastor Anthony. That's how disruptive this situation was. And then Jesus said, let's minister to these people. In verse 15, the disciples wanted to send the crowd away. They were probably in a state of worry and panic because Jesus had been doing ministry for the whole day. The whole day. Luke 9.12 says, the day was drawing to a close. Wow, that sounds like a very fancy Greek expression, right? You know what it means in English? The day was drawing to a close. Is, this is extra biblical, but I think it's obvious that the disciples did not have women in their planning committees or activities. If only they had WSCS aunties, I tell you, there would have been catering planned for this from the start. I can imagine one of the WSCS aunties going and scolding the disciples. Huh, you see lah, huh? Catering not important, right? But in all seriousness, in the face of feeding this great multitude, how did the disciples respond? Firstly, the disciples said, and this is recorded in all the, rec the gospel records, send them away that they may go to the villages to buy themselves food. Now, this sounds quite nice, isn't it? 
I think this is the nice way of what they wanted to say. I think the disciples really wanted to say, these people, this crowd, they are not our guests. You know, we didn't invite them here. We are under no obligation to serve their needs. This is not our problem. Secondly, Philip pointed out that six months' wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. We don't have that kind of money. Thirdly, Andrew was the one to point out, yes, there is some food, five loaves and two fish in all, but what good will that do? This is too little to be of use. In other words, we don't have enough. Can you hear their responses? That's not our problem. We don't have enough. Despite being separated by centuries, the disciples sound very much like us, don't they? To these two responses, I believe Jesus has so much to teach us in his actions and in his words. Let's see where they are. My first point is this, is that we serve even though we are troubled because Jesus shows us how. I can empathize with the disciples. They were doing ministry for the whole day, probably feeling hungry, probably feeling tired. I call this state hangry, you know, hungry and angry at the same time. And Jesus wouldn't release the crowd. But Jesus reveals the reality of ministry. Despite how tired you may feel, there will be needs to be met. All parents know this with newborns. You come home from work, you've been hustling for the whole day, but then you still need to be there for the newborn. Because the newborn is utterly dependent on you. It will be utterly irresponsible if you just check out and leave the baby unattended. Likewise, Jesus, who was completely human and completely God, looked at the crowd and saw their needs. Mark observes that the crowd was like a sheep without shepherd. Matthew reads that Jesus cured their sick. Luke reads that Jesus spoke and taught about the kingdom of God. I am in awe that Jesus exceeds the expectations of service by going above and beyond. I'm sure he knew what exactly everybody needed. He could have just done the bare minimum to get the job done. But he didn't. Jesus was moved by compassion, not by obligation. You know, when the wife is sick, the bare minimum that a husband can do is get the correct medication, administer the medication, leave the wife alone, uh, you take care, you go and rest, I go and do my own thing. But that's not what we do, right, husbands? We would serve the whole person that is our wife. You know? We'll try to make sure that she's comfortable. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll tuck her into a blanket. We'll make sure that a drink is nearby so that she can, if she's thirsty. You know, we, uh, we'll give her a foot massage when she wants to feel comfortable. And when it's time for a meal, you try to find her favorite sick food, which is normally something sweet. Is this disruptive for the husband? Yes, of course. But love and compassion fuels these actions to go above and beyond obligation. We see this in action through Jesus. Although his plans for rest and recuperation were disrupted, he chose to minister to the people. And this should cause us to relook at how disruptions come our way in the course of ministry and service. Let me give you an example serving uh, from serving as a music director for my worship team. So this is going to be a behind-the-scenes look at the worship ministry. 
So the closing song, the song that you sing at the end of service, now that is chosen by the preacher, Pastor Lee, Pastor Anthony, so on and so forth. And they have free reign to choose whatever they want because that will help correspond the song closely to the, the message. Now sometimes, this song is not chosen until Friday afternoon. And the practice is Saturday morning. So that gives me, the music director, a grand total of a few hours to listen to the song, uh, write out the instructions for my band, uh, write out a chart, send out the chart to my team members, hope and pray that they have read and listened and, and practiced the song as well, so that not more than 12 hours later, we'll come to the Saturday morning practice and practice that song. Is this inconvenient and disruptive? Yeah, to be brutally honest, yes. Should I call the preacher and scold him for taking so long to choose a closing song? No, of course not. I am the one that is, I'm not in authority in this situation. My role is to prepare the songs to the best of my ability. And that means having to prepare it at the 11th hour, sometimes really at 11.53 p.m. I will do what needs to be done. The key question is, what is at stake? You are. Every one of you sitting here. Everyone sitting here is one more reason why Alphonsus and I will sleep at one or two in the morning preparing songs. Every one of you seated here is one more reason why the AV crew will come early in the morning to push out the big theme sound boxes of equipment and set up all these things here. They're not very light, you know, these things. You know, if what we can do helps make the Sunday morning a little more conducive for worship, it is all worthwhile. I am also in awe of how Jesus turns the expectation of lordship upside down. As the Son of God, the King of Kings, He could have stayed far off and leave us to our own devices, but He did not. He saw our need for deliverance, our need to be reconnected to God in relationship, and came to us. Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. How else can we thank him except to give our lives in thanksgiving and praise? To those who are not yet in ministry, who come here every Sunday, I thank God for each and every one of you. You're here and that is great, but you're not engaged. Maybe you're not in ministry yet. You want to be shrouded in anonymity. And maybe you see what needs to be done and you think to yourself, that's not my problem. But let me tell you and encourage you, as part of this church community, it is. If you can see the problem, you're probably able to see the solution. And don't just write an anonymous note, slip it to the offering bag and give it to the pastor. Come forward and see how you can serve 
and be a part of caring for your church. To those who are in ministry, I know how it feels. You juggle time between family, work, and church. You may feel exhausted and you feel like you're giving scraps of time to God. You may even feel ashamed at this. But let me reassure you, Jesus knows. And Jesus does not condemn you for it. Let me tell you why. In the face of this impossible task that the disciples described, Jesus responds in verse 16 in the most cool, calm, and composed way. They need not go away. You give them something. I think this pronoun is profoundly important. Let's read verse 19 in detail. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked out to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. Now, English Comprehension 101. Through whom was the miracle working? Through whom did this miracle work? Did Jesus pray for bread and fish to rain down on the crowd? But if he had, I'm pretty sure the expression, it's raining bread and fish will take over, it's raining cats and dogs, right? But no, notice the pattern. Jesus first blesses the food, and then he gives it to the disciples, who then give it out to the crowd. My second main point is this, is that we serve even though we lack resources, because Jesus works through you. Hear that again. Jesus wants to work His miraculous power through you. I'm sure Jesus could have performed this miracle in many ways. Raining down bread and fish would have been a very remarkable display of His power. But He chose to do it through the hands of the disciples, through the hands of the crowd as they passed the food along. The first part of the pattern is this. Jesus blesses the food before handing it out. This should give us pause for reflection. In our zeal and enthusiasm for ministry, we do many things for Jesus in His name. But if we consider if these are the things that Jesus really wants us to do, do they have Jesus' blessing? I suspect that part of the reason why some of the things we do for Jesus may not be so productive or may not be so effective is because Jesus did not give His blessing. I'll give you one example from the worship ministry core group. Yeah, there's a few of us who meet up as a core group. One of our tasks as the core group is to vet new songs that are suggested to be sung on the Sunday service. Now, we critique every new song suggestion that will come in. Most of the leaders will give insights as to whether the song is appropriate for the season of church life, whether it can be easily learned by you guys, whether it's an easy melody, whether the musicians can pull it off. These are some of the considerations. I am usually the one to write an essay about the theology behind a song. I confess before you that I've allowed my pride and preferences to color the theological consideration of a song. I could give a scathing review of a song if it did not articulate biblical truth in a way that I preferred. This was very obvious when the song Good, Good Father came up for consideration. I'll quote the lyrics here. Oh, I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like. But I've heard the tender whispers of love in the dead of night. Wow, in my head, red flags were up. Esoteric mysticism. 
We gain our knowledge of God through the Bible, not through these mystical experiences. Now, disclaimer, this was pre-TTC, so I was quite unlearned, and I hadn't quite considered spiritualities that were different from my own experiences. I had theological battles with my fellow core group members regarding this song. You know, I thought it was my duty to swing my theological sword and draw blood. Ah, I got you. I'm sure Jesus was proud of my battle. But the truth is, I didn't feel good. And I suspect Jesus wasn't proud of me. But God has a sense of humor, you know. There was a Sunday morning where I had to lead the song as the worship leader. Uh, and this was the offertory anthem. And I remember as the, the song came in uh, to, to be led, I looked at it and, oh no, good, good father. But I felt a sense of duty to prepare this song well. So, uh, despite my objections. So, this, so, I prepared the song. I sang my heart out in the song. And I thought that was that, you know. Okay, God, don't. I, just, I prayed also, God, don't let me do the song again. But after the service, I saw a social media post from a church member, and I quote, Good, good father is a good reminder of my heavenly father's love for me. Smiley emoji. It has been a very tough week at work. Was she infected with what I thought was heresy because the song was sung? No. Was she given over to what I thought was esoteric mysticism? No. But was she encouraged? Was she edified? Was she built up? Yes. God taught me a lesson that morning. He can use something that's not my personal preference and bless it. I don't have to like it. I just have to deliver it. The second part of the pattern comes after the first. Jesus blesses the food, then passes it on to you so that you can pass it on. Jesus could have bypassed the middleman completely in this miracle, but he didn't. Why couldn't he just perform the miracle? That, that would just be a lot easier, right? I believe the answer lies in Genesis 1. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Dear family, you bear the image of God. You bear the image of God. You are uniquely created for the purpose of being steward of God's creation to bear the Creator's fingerprints. You know, the late Dr. R.C. Sproul said that mankind are like mirrors, mirrors that reflect the glory of God. In one of my electives that I took in Trinity Theological College, I decided to do liturgical theology. It turned out to be my favorite subject. And my major project and paper that I had to work on, I chose to work on Orthodox Christianity. You know, the guys with the big hats and the long beards, and they, the service is you stand for three hours, and, and, and there's no sitting down in an Orthodox service, by the way. That kind of Orthodox Christianity. I chose to do a project on them because the appeal of Orthodox the theology is that everything that has been created has the potential to become sacred. Not because they're made out of sacred holy materials. No. So the guitar is not holy because it's made from holy wood. 
but it is made holy by the person who plays it, the man who, has, who bears the fingerprints of God. God is a God of creativity. He is revealed to the voices of praise, the playing of the instruments, you know, the lights, the cameras, the computers at the back. God is a God of truth. He is revealed through the pulpit. He is revealed through your Bible. He is revealed through the messages and the devotional, uh, uh, devotional reminders that come up on your phone. God is a God of hospitality. His glory is revealed through a firm handshake and a warm smile. God is a God of beauty. He is revealed from those who arrange the flowers in the sanctuary to beautify it. He is revealed through the people who design the slides to pick the fonts, to pick the design for our slides. Such is our God. In short, God is a God who chooses to use you. We need to stop thinking like Singaporeans, where the production quality of executing the task is the most important key performance indicator. We need to, you know, we need to stop thinking, you know, we need the top performer for this job. Anyone with anything less than perfection will not do. No, no, no. God wants to use you, your unique character, your unique personality infused with the skills only you can pull off. The Apostle Paul wrote, Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. In conclusion, I want to remind those who are currently serving in ministry and to those considering serving in ministry. When we feel overwhelmed and tired by ministry, May we remember that Jesus looked on a hungry crowd with compassion, not obligation. When we feel like our gifts are too small to be of use, may we remember that all it took was a boy's bag of five loaves and two fish for all the crowd to eat and be satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate numbered 5,000 men besides women and children. Praise God. So dear family, when Jesus commands us, you give them something. He is not looking for perfection. He is looking only for obedience. Let us pray. I'm going to give you a moment to come before God. I want, to, I want to pray especially for those who feel a burden to serve in a particular ministry and those who are, you know, you're probably still thinking about it. You're probably thinking, am I good enough? I want you to know today, God says you are. I'm going to give you that moment to personally come before God.
please begin to round your prayer to a close. Let me, let me pray for you. Gracious and Heavenly Father, for those of us who are serving in ministry, who feel tired at times, who feel overwhelmed at times, who say, what's the point of it all? It's just the same thing over and over again. Holy Spirit, give your encouragement to them. Holy Spirit, reveal Reveal your presence and power in their lives. That what they are doing bears the fingerprints of God the Father. Bears the fingerprints of God the Son. Bears the fingerprints of God the Spirit. That as they do their service and ministry, that they find encouragement and joy that they are reflecting your glory. To my brothers and sisters who are still considering serving in ministry, I pray for holy courage and conviction. Help them to identify places where they can slot themselves in. Reveal, Lord. Reveal to them the right place, the right time where you want them to show your glory. Give them courage to say yes with encourage to step forward and give us too those who are going to welcome them into ministry I pray for a sense of hospitality to come in and to, to come alongside them and say hey let's serve together not to lord it over them but to come as equal brothers and sisters in ministry as we ask in the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people say Amen.